Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist, and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. If you've been listening to this podcast or are new to it, I thank you very much. I would also appreciate if you took a moment and followed it on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. This week's guest is the editor and founder of Audiophile Magazine, the premier publication for the audiobook industry, Robin Witten. The very first issue of Audiophile in June of 1992 featured reviews of our first audiobooks, Old Doc Methuselah, Battlefield Earth, both read by Ryder McDowell, and Buckskin Brigades, read by Bruce Boxleitner. I became friends with Robin when I became actively involved with the Audio Publishers Association in 2008, of which I was a fellow board member for a few years. I don't know that anyone knows the audiobook industry better than Robin. I am so looking forward to speaking with her today about the history of the audiobook industry. Welcome, Robin. Hello, John. I'm so glad to be here. Yes, me too. It's um, it's one of those things when I was, I listened to an audiobook probably once or a week or every two weeks I get through an audiobook because that's how I usually prepare for my podcast interviews. And it just dawned on me, what about Robin? So then it was like, then I wrote to you and it was like, sure, this would be great. So getting a one-two punch on the audiobook industry, you as the creator of Audiophile Magazine and probably the history of audiobooks is, like I said, known by no one better than yourself. And then also getting Michelle as the, as the uh, executive director of the uh, Audio Publishers Association, I think it's a really good grounding in audiobooks and how aspiring writers can actually get involved and take advantage of the audiobook industry for their intellectual properties. So this is great. Great. It'd be fun to talk about it all if yeah. I can keep the, keep the history straight. <laughs> good. So how did you get started with audiobooks to begin with? Well, I started uh, as an audiobook listener, uh, being interested in the medium mm -hmm. and quite mesmerized by uh, how powerful it was and how it would hold my attention in a way that certainly when you read a good book, you know, you're really involved in it. But, you know, listening to an audiobook and being, you know, going around the block or taking the long way home, all of those things that listeners experience, it suddenly dawned on me that this was really an art form and that the narrators uh, were crafting a, a, you know, quite an amazing performance of the work that the author had created. So that fascinated me. And uh, at the time, in the early 1990s, there was very little being written about uh, audiobooks. There were audiobooks, primarily in libraries and some in bookstores, uh, some through uh, publishers, but they were scarce. And it was, um, it was a format that a lot of people were unfamiliar with. Yeah, it was up to that point, audiobooks was something through the libraries, and I think it was also for um, the blind or for vision right. impaired. Right. So uh, for vision impaired people and blind, you know, that was where originally 
uh, it may have started, uh, but it was also, I think, a way in the early days in the, say, the 1950s of um, audiobooks of a way of making archival recordings because we have some great poets and authors who were alive uh, reading their own works. And that was a way to create uh, an oral history um, that otherwise would not exist. And uh, but obviously, in by the 1990s, things had evolved quite a bit, and the industry was really set to take off uh, in a way that now it has, and you know, become a format that most people are are familiar with. There are passionate fans of audiobook listening everywhere. We can talk to our podcast listeners here about coming over to the audiobook side <laughs> a little bit <laughs> from their listening experience. Yep. Yeah. Now then, so you were you were a fan to begin with. So what then and what was the inspiration that got the creation of audiophile to materialize? So I guess the idea was that I was fascinated with the format. Um, very little was available, particularly to libraries, to make choices about their their purchase of audiobooks. And it was all very dependent on the book and what anyone had written about, about the actual text mm -hmm. copy. And I really felt strongly that this was a performance medium. So there were creative choices made from the get-go by, by the uh, narrators. And so it should be reviewed the way we review concerts and films, anything with the, and, and, and focused on the creative side because all those choices are being made. So I had chatted with our library director about it, and he said, oh, that's a great idea. Libraries would use that idea of reviews because they're used to using reviews. So in my naivete, I said, oh, I can do that. <laughs> I had another job, but I, I can do that. I can write reviews of audiobooks. And so in uh, June of 1992, we came out with the very first issue of Audiophile. It was about 12 pages, mm -hmm. uh, desktop publishing, which was a thing then. <laughs> and that's how it started. Um, and obviously, uh, we have changed a lot. We have broadened our platform, but we're still in print. And, uh, you know, Audiophile goes on trying to help people uh, find their, their great next audiobook. Absolutely. Now, in the course of your 27, 28, 29 years with, um, with Audiophile, how many reviews have you actually done for audiobooks? Well, we have published over 50,000 audiobook reviews. Wow. <laughs> and if you want to check them all out, they're at our website. So you, if you know what you're looking for, you can search all kinds of uh, favorite authors and uh, narrators, uh, topics uh, for, for audiobooks. Yeah, so that's audiophilemagazine.com? That, that is the correct website, yes. Okay, good. Yeah. We'll be saying it multiple times throughout this uh, interview here to make sure people get that. Now, there was a period, because I remember talking with um, uh, Barbara Rosenblatt, and she said she when she first started doing audiobooks, she did it for the libraries, for the, was it the Library of Congress doing the things for the uh, um, 
the, the talk, yeah, talking the talking book program. Talking book program. She yep. got started, and then she then emerged into actually doing audiobooks. At what point did audiobooks became an actual thing that wasn't just something for the blind? Um, I think in the early 1970s was the first time uh, that libraries certainly started to collect audiobooks uh, for their not for their their general uh, uh, patrons. And mm -hmm. so I think that's a good place uh, to start. And as I said, it was, uh, you know, it was hard to find audiobooks. And so, but the libraries were a great source and libraries have always been such a, uh, a proponent of, of audiobooks, collecting them, staying up with the formats, because that's another mm -hmm. thing that has changed so much um, from the cassettes that were being scattered around people's cars <laughs> in, okay. in the 1970s. <laughs> to um, to our digital download format now. Um, With the CDs in between. And the CDs in between, right. Exactly, exactly. And now you can't even, you can barely get a cassette player to play cassettes. If, you know, a lot of people still have audiobooks on cassette and you see them in yard sales and things, but it's, you're hard-pressed to find a player that will play them. <laughs> For sure. And anything that long, that old as well, the the uh, tape is starting to get kind of brittle too. So you're gonna have that problem depending upon where they were actually kept. Right, and and that's an exciting part of uh, contemporary audiobooks is how much the quality of sound has changed. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So one thing that's I think really cool about Audiophile is that you feature the talent. Obviously, you got the publishers that do it, and you got the authors that wrote it. But the talent that perform it, it gives them a platform which they don't otherwise uh, receive. So what was the inspiration of that? Well, you know, I think um, in when we're really talking about an audiobook listening experience, it's the narrators who make the magic. Because if it's a good narrator who really understands what the author intended and has really great skills, then they make a magical experience for us as listeners. So, mm -hmm. you know, it always seemed to me that they should be in the spotlight. And we do, we do as much as we can to really emphasize that, to do uh, stories and features uh, on, the, on the narrators. We let them do little videos uh, to talk about uh, an audiobook they're excited about. We do podcasts. I mean, it's really uh, one of the one of the ways that we feel uh, we give a, a broad look at all the parts of audiobooks. And for listeners, it's that voice, essentially. That's what they're going to remember is the voice that uh, they listen to for hours and hours through that audiobook. Yeah, that's interesting. Because talking to people over the years and various um, surveys that I was participating in when I was uh, on the board of the Audio Publishers Association, it's amazing how much people will listen to a book, not because of the title, but because of the narrator, the voice. <laughs> right. right. The, the, the narrators have their own fan clubs. It doesn't matter what, they, what they're actually, what book it is that they're recording, that uh, they, they have fans who will just listen to it because it is Barbara Rosenblatt or George Goodell or Jim Dale. Exactly. Now, one thing that you've got, too, is you mentioned um, Jim Dale, just an amazing performer. 
And then he's able to create all those characters, remember remember them throughout the entire series of Harry Potter. And I remember him telling me that he had a, a little ledger book where he wrote down all the different <laughs> uh, characters he performed and what made that voice different than another one to be able to perform it. I think it's something people don't really realize. It's a real skill. Well, it is truly an art form. I mean, it's not just that I like the sound of your voice, John, that it's really that. <laughs> you know, that takes it takes more than that to be the uh, the voice of multiple characters having a conversation at once or a group of people of different backgrounds and genders in in a room uh, talking to each other and keeping that going uh, basically instantaneously as you, mm-hmm. as a narrator reads through a dialogue or a scene. It's an extraordinary um, it is an extraordinary skill to do that. And also it's uh, one of the things I like to point out is that this is for an audiobook, it's long form. Uh, performance. We're not talking about, you know, a scene of about five minutes or reading a section for 10 minutes. We're talking about hours of maintaining the energy and keeping keeping all those characters straight, but also, um, you know, being in in the mind of the of the uh, author and in a sense, channeling that intent of the author through their performance. Yes, and I've seen where you know the aspiring authors want to be audiobook talent. Yeah, I can do that. Um, what advice would you have for um, an aspiring audiobook voice to um, to help give them a reality check? <laughs> it's harder than it looks, and what you need to do is talk to an author who did their first audiobook themselves and then decided that maybe they should turn it over to a professional and they'll give you lots of reasons um, why it was a lot harder than it seems. Yeah. What I've heard successfully done is authors writing and authors doing an envoy or here's the, um, the, um, an intro, but it's just, it's just their voice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not doing the character's voice. It's just, it's my voice giving, here's what inspired this or, Afterwards, this is what happened as a result of writing this book. Right. And I think that's very nice. I think it's it's good to hear the author's voice. But I mean, you know, they're, what they have written is a creative work that is mm-hmm. that took a very special skill to get it to that written form. So, you know, in the same way, I feel like a narration uh, should be done by a professional. And, you know, it takes a, a lot of um, experience. You know, we, we talk about narrators who've done hundreds of audiobooks, but, you know, they're trying different things and different approaches almost every time. Um, and sometimes, you know, it works. Sometimes, you know, it's not as successful for lots mm-hmm. of reasons. But, sure. you know, that's why we, we go to movies and, and look at different films and see different actors taking different roles. Yeah. It's interesting that I know several authors, I'm very familiar with them, and as a child, what they wanted for their birthday present wasn't a bicycle, it was a typewriter. <laughs> and I talked to a lot of the audio talent, because we we, right. we hired probably close to 300 when we did that whole story from the Golden Age line, and the Battlefield Earth, and Mission Earth, and all these books. What they wanted 
when they were little kids was a little tape recorder so they right. could record the voices and hear it play back and try and make all different voice sounds. It's like it's a whole different mindset, a whole different, you know, from the get-go, just like the writer was wanted to be able to write when he was just yep. a, a, a wee tyke, the audiobook narrator wanted to be able to play with voices and uh, hear their voice coming back at them and just say, oh, how can I change this? It, it seems like it's something that is ingrained with them as it was with the writer with being able to write. I think I think you're absolutely right. That's great. That's great to think of. Yeah, I remember with, with um, Jim Eskimen, he said, yeah, I, I had my little, whatever the little um, see and say thing was that he had, but he had something he could record and then play it back right away. And it would just hold on to the uh, sound until they recorded it again. But he was doing that constantly. You know, it was just like, wow. And I, several of the other guys would actually talk about, oh, yeah, I did this. This is what I had. And it's um, it's something that, you're right, it's, it's something that's also, it's not, it's drilled. It's a lot of work that goes in and develop the ability to create an image. If you're a male, to create an image of a female voice. And if you're female, how to create an image of a male voice or a child. Or you got Nancy Cartwright, who's done several of our audiobooks. You know, she's one of Bart Simpson. And she she had a book that she came out, My Life as a 10-Year-Old Boy. And so she's been able to master that. And she's done quite well with it, obviously. But it's um, it's amazing what's a single voice narrators are able to to accomplish that's very true and you know interestingly oftentimes i've heard directors say that a lot of it is the emotional connection that a narrator has with the character because that's what we as listeners uh take in we hear the emotion of mm -hmm. the character and if we can't hear that or something that the narrator is doing is taking us out of the scene then you know we're you know that's not good <laughs> we want yeah. to be absolutely in the scene with the characters whatever the emotion is between uh whatever this what whatever's happening you know whether it's fear or excitement or romance, whatever it is, you know, we we experience that, and that's uh, that's the magic that the narrator does. Exactly, and then another aspect to that, you got the emotion, but you also have just the technical expertise of delivering a a rendition of that story, because you've also got just the the, the equipment you need. See so all the little pops and. Like I'm here on Hollywood Boulevard and it's a crazy sound constantly. And my producer on this podcast um, sometimes does his nut trying to make sure he can like get those sounds out because I don't have, I mean, I'm right now, this is the room that I've been is the Writers of the Future Lounge, which is a beautiful room. But I look out the window and there's Hollywood Boulevard just zooming right in front of me. And um, we've been known to have a fire truck or a police car or... <laughs> Just all types of stuff, you know, every 10, 15 minutes, you know. Well, I'm sorry I can't uh, uh, contribute some seagulls because I'm on the coast of Maine, but I it's know, very I quiet love, right I love here. Your so. home. Oh, my God. <laughs> I used to love when I go over there for the, our board retreats. That was so nice there. The um, but, but the point being is that you've got to have a space as well that you can actually record an audiobook where you don't have any of those distractions because those distractions – are distractions to the listener as well. And just like if there's any change of, of energy level in the audiobook, but there's any other extraneous noises, it will make the final product 
a distraction and you're not, you'll lose, the, you'll lose the listener. Right. Right. And it, it is, uh, it's great that equipment has gotten much better for being able to um, filter out sounds mm-hmm. and uh, to uh, allow narrators to have their home studios in a way that years ago, you know, it, it, it was so clear when something wasn't an actual studio recording. But of course, you've got, you know, you add in some things that come with multicast, which we should talk about, and the sound, the the layers of production that are put into something like a, a full cast uh, drama uh, radio radio play. Yeah, I know that uh, when I talked to um, Michelle, that's one thing that she was obviously very much involved with with LA Theater Works and still is. And that's something that's that's pretty much once we've we finished the first round, which is the first audio books that you um, reviewed for us were the ones with Rodney McDowell. Like like I mentioned, he was obviously a brilliant actor, just absolutely amazing what he could do with his voice. But when we started the the re-release of all the stories from the Golden Age audiobooks and the Battlefield Earth and Missionaries and all the other novels written by Mr. Hubbard, they were all done multicast. And in the stories from the Golden Age specifically, we would have between four and eight actors, and they're all recording in the studio together, which was like the old radio theater, which we were trying to do because these were stories from the Golden Age. So we wanted to use the format that was most popular back then. So how has that been evolving? Because um, it's become more and more popular. I know we were somewhat, when we were doing our regular audiobooks, not like LA Theater Works is theater productions that they make into an audiobook. We were actually recording it as an audiobook, and we were somewhat cutting edge at the time when we were doing this back in 2008. Um, how has that evolved? Well, I think I think that style um, is very exciting and dynamic in a way for for listeners to certain kinds of stories, because as as you say, the golden age stories were perfectly suited to a lot of character voices and a soundscape going on underneath and augmenting different things. They they were perfect for it. And and so I think that style can be very appealing with certain kinds of stories. And the layering of a soundscape and the interplay of voices as they sort of play off each other. Um, And it's not, I think it's quite unusual. Um, Those productions were fabulous. I know that sometimes now um, multiple voices are recorded as separate tracks and then mixed. And although that usually works, I think you actually probably get more when those actors are in the same room because they are acting, you know, they're on the set with each other. (laughs) And you can hear that. I mean, I can't hear what might be missing in a mixed soundtracks, because you don't, you don't know what would have happened if those actors had been in the same room. But there's a certain dynamism that I think you feel the energy in, in certainly some of the golden age recordings. Yeah, that was one thing we had, um, the audio reviewer for Library Journal, I mean, he personally had to review all of our audiobooks. And we had many reviews that were done through Audiophile Magazine as well. And we got several of your earphone awards for them because of that that energy. That I think that had a lot to do with it because it is something that you get when you have, just like 
like right now doing this interview, I'm I'm watching you as I'm talking to you, and it's much better to get a, a feel for what we're discussing than if it was just over a phone line and not being able to see you. You know, even though everybody's only hearing this as an audio and not right. seeing any video, there's going to be a lot more um, interaction, a lot more liveness to our to our discussion than if it was not seeing you and seeing your right, your really smile. And your- <laughs> Yes. Well, it is interesting how it evolves. And I think, you know, the multi-voice style of audiobooks is quite popular now, particularly Mm -hmm. when a book uh, has uh, different points of view. And especially if it's like divided into chapters where you have one character who tells their side of the story and then you go to another chapter and this is a different character telling their version. And in that case, I think having having multiple narrators can be very effective. Yeah. One thing that's been really, I think, important to realize is just the value of Audiophile Magazine to increasing the uh, understanding of what audiobooks is. Because when you have, especially like a, a burgeoning industry like audiobooks, you know, you, you have one opportunity to make a good first impression. And that was a point that I had, one of my biggest concerns when I was on the, on the board of directors was when it was opening up and just, um, Anybody could do do the recording and put it out there, and any company could just okay. I'm gonna start up and I'm gonna do audiobooks, and didn't have nearly the the quality control aspect of it. And as it was a growing um, industry, somebody and I had these conversations before. Somebody I tried when I didn't like it. It just it didn't do <laughs> well for me. And so that first impression was was a bust. And I think with the audiophile magazine saying here's something we say if you're gonna start, you wanna check it out check this out, check this out. And then as you got more and more involved with uh, internet and emailing stuff around, people had an opportunity to get, have that first good first impression. I think that's very important. And we really like to, you know, be a little hard on the titles that we're reviewing so that we're honest about it and to to help uh, a listener know what they're getting in for. So if they're getting into a full-blown soundscape, lots of, you know, um, sound effects and action, uh, big, big voices, a big production, that they know that straight up. And if they um, are more uh, contemplative, that they can find an audiobook that suits that style. Um, because there are a lot of different choices. And I think that's part of what uh, Audiophile also likes to do is we we try to show you all the different options of what's possible. And that's where sometimes we, in uh, reviewing some of our independent publishers' titles, uh, that we find absolute gems that otherwise, um, you know, would not get any attention as an audiobook. I mean, John Grisham probably doesn't need our attention on a review of his latest audiobook, but there are so many titles of all kinds that you know we like. We love to find something and have a have a rave review of a title that we're all surprised by. It's great. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's. I think that's really really important to have somebody to have a platform that can actually get themselves known. That's one of the things that we pride ourselves on with writers of the future is like 
there's so many people that are aspiring to become a writer, but we're an artist. But how do you get that first leg up? And that's what we provide with Writers of the Future. And that's, right. I think, a very strong similarity to a book that wouldn't otherwise get their, their notice. So I, th I think that one of the things that Audiophile tries to do also in helping people find audiobooks is use lots of different formats. So we have, obviously, we're still a print magazine. But we also have our newsletters and website. And then we've experimented with podcasts um, of our Behind the Mic podcast is just a small conversation every day of one audiobook, four minutes. That's it. I'm, we're recommending one title. Uh, we play a clip. Then we're done. And the next day, it's a different audiobook. So it's a whole, you know, doing it that way in a very short format is one different from pod, most podcasts, but also um, it, I think we're trying to um, give people who like podcast formats a way of finding out about an audiobook that might interest them. That's it's interesting you bring that up about podcasts. When I was doing research several years ago in Mexico for um, launching some of our audiobooks in Spanish, there weren't a whole lot of audiobooks out there as CDs. They, you know, this is well past the, uh, the cassette stage. They didn't have a whole lot, but what they did in, in Mexico specifically was podcasts. They'd have the audiobook as a podcast and it was paid. So you, you purchased the podcast and you listened to the audiobook that way. And I thought, wow, that was, I don't know that if it's just specifically related to them as, as audiobooks coming out as podcasts. You have any more information well, about that? Well, interestingly, of course, a lot of books were serialized first mm -hmm. in, you know, in print. Char Charles Dickens released a lot of his titles as serialized chapters. Um, but moving forward, I found out that a number of um, contemporary writers also released their books as serials including uh, Stephen King's The Green Mile and Truman Capote's um, In Cold Blood. Didn't realize that those were released, I think, probably as, as uh, initially, um, maybe as articles in a magazine. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of uh, listening to an, a book in a serialized form, like on the radio, the radio reader and chapter a day uh, radio programs were very mm -hmm. popular right through, um, you know, from the 30s. I think that was a that was a style um, into the 1990s. Um, and I think there is one called Chapter a Day that is still someone is reading a chapter of a book every day as, you know, as an that's an audiobook form. Wow. Yeah. And we we've just tried we're just trying to renew that a little bit with with an idea of a new podcast called Audio Book Break, which is the same thing taking a uh, a recorded a full length recorded audiobook and then cutting it into the chapters and releasing it as episodes of a podcast. And we've just we actually did David Copperfield as our first uh, title in the Audio Book Break podcast so oh, that's great some something old is new again i guess <laughs> yeah no that's great on that so on the um so you're talking about a little bit earlier you've got the the multicast but multicast is different than radio theater 
it can be. I mean, they're kind of terms that are a little mixed up. <laughs> yeah, um, you're confused on this. So I was just curious because you're talking about you have one narrator, one narrator doing like one chapter, then another narrator okay. doing another one. There's so, that's one thing we've got multiple voices. Right. And I call those multiple multi multiple voice or an ensemble, usually with okay. multiple uh narrators, more than one narrator, but right. each reading a section and not interacting. So, so once, they're doing all the different voices in that section, right. but they're you're the sole voice for that section. Yes. And they don't interact with any other characters. And when okay. I we mostly talk about radio theater or multicast, it's an interaction between the narrators and often they you will have the sound effects or some kind of a soundscape that goes with it. Right. Yeah, when we did ours, I think our stories from the golden age, we had like 150,000 sound effects. And where we didn't have one, we created them because we didn't, you know, so like if we made sure that if it was a, um, whatever it was that the author said, that was the sound that we got. Because I think that's one thing that's probably very real to you as well, working in this industry, that a certain sound will trigger an actual image. And so just a picture, just the sound of a plane doesn't necessarily evoke a jet versus a biplane versus a crop duster. But if you have the sound of a jet plane or a biplane or a crop duster, then you'll get that image in your in your mind's eye. And that's one of the things we we strove to do. We even went to New York and recorded a Fifth Street taxi. We and we <laughs> the subways there, so that because it sound different. Then the San Francisco traffic uh, right. taxis made sure that we had all that stuff there. And that's one of the things, too, I think that an audiobook can do that it lends that extra dimension that just reading the story. And I feel also where if it's just a straight voice read without any other soundscapes to it, you can get an extra dimension there. I know not everybody appreciates that, but I certainly do. Well, it's interesting. In recent years, there have been uh, some of the graphic novels, particularly for teens, that are have been created into audiobooks. On the face of that idea of taking a graphic novel and making it into an audiobook, it seems very strange. How would you do that? But mm -hmm. if you think of a graphic novel like a storyboard for as they use in films, then it sort of makes perfect sense that you can use layer in sound effects to create um, the scene. So if you mm -hmm. have um, the one I'm thinking of is Hey Kiddo, and the, it's a young boy on, um, there's a scene where he's on the bus to school. Well, you don't have to say that he's on the bus to school. First of all, in the graphic novel, we see him on the bus. So we know that. But right. if you have the sound that creates that that sense of being on a bus, what it sounds like when you're on a bus, then mm -hmm. you don't have to say you don't have to say that either. Right. So right. it's a, a very interesting sort of idea of using a storyboard uh, idea in in an audiobook with using sound and um, different layers of of uh, other effects. Yeah. Now, one thing also, just the audiobook industry in general has just been explosive growth the last decade or so, mm -hmm. maybe even more so. 
And I know you've been tracking it and have been experiencing that too. Um, but I know for the, I remember it was in, not last, maybe the year before, it was the audiobook industry that actually resulted in the overall publishing industry having their sales uh, up for the year where the, the mass market and the trade paperback and the hardcover and children's were down. It was the audiobook that was up and up sufficiently to be able to counteract the, the other industries being down. So um, that's pretty impressive. Do you have any more specifics on that or did I just shoot it all? <laughs> well, I, I think that that is, uh, was a wonderful thing for the audiobook industry. And of course, no, the audiobooks did not have to make a transition to a digital form because it already was. So as right. books were struggling going from paper to digital um, and getting people to change their method of access to it, uh, mm -hmm. to them, uh, you know, audio, the only way you ever listen to an audiobook is in your ears. So you didn't have to change to a different, it was already digital. <laughs> yeah. And what's interesting too, is that in the last year and a half with it, with the uh, pandemic and people not going out and traveling, you know, where it was thought that audiobooks were mostly listened to when people go to the gym, which wasn't right. happening when they were going out, you know, and traveling, you know, driving mm -hmm. around road trips, which wasn't happening, that it would have taken it, you know, uh, quite harshly. And just the reverse happened. Right. Well, I think so many people were glad uh, to have the story take them away from whatever had been happening all day long, uh, mm -hmm. whether it was staring at a screen and trying to stay in school or stay up with your work or having, you know, our first responders um, and uh, essential workers having very, very tough jobs and coming home and just wanting to escape a bit. And of course, audiobooks are great for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it was really good that they just, they definitely um, took off. And now that things are opening up again, you've got a higher base with which it can now continue to, uh, to grow as an industry. We hope so. Lots, lots more things to be recorded. <laughs> yeah. So how has it, the growth been in terms of uh, audiobooks themselves being, uh, being published? Because there's a lot of at home studios now, there's more indie audiobook publishers. How's that well, um, I think there are more than 70,000 audiobooks published, I think, last year. So that they're going to be more than that published this year, probably. Uh, that's a lot of audiobooks. And um, there are, you know, platforms now for basically do-it-yourself publishing of audiobooks um, through uh, several different options for that. Yes, yeah, so let's talk about that a bit because a lot of people listening here are aspiring writers and they'd be interested in this exact topic. Well, I think the the sort of do-it-yourself publishing platforms, um, there are a couple of them. Um, ACX is the one that is run by Audible. Um, I believe that uh, Findaway Voices is another one. And is it Authors Republic? I believe is another uh, do-it-yourself platform, and um, you. I think that any of the any rights holder, so anyone who owns the rights to the material, um, can use one of these platforms to select a narrator um, and get the whole audiobook produced. 
they're like a one-stop shop then so you can go there and just mm -hmm. you can like i want one of these one of these one of these one of these and just click 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 okay here's your total good <laughs> sort of yes i think that's it and you can also get some professional help in that that's part of it as well because <laughs> <laughs> that last little bit there probably wouldn't constitute itself as professional help that i just said <laughs> uh maybe maybe not <laughs> yeah so um so if anybody like has their own um, property, their own book that they want to be able to turn into an audiobook, so they can either try to pitch it to the the general audiobook publishers, or if they find themselves not making any uh, headway with that, then to go to independently get it get it uh, published. Mm -hmm. And with those three platforms you're talking about, there might be others as well, but those three platforms that you that you're mentioning there. So that's good on that, and that's. So you can find if you even if you listen to an audiobook and you're like, I really like this narrator, you can even actually go for getting that narrator hired to do your book, too, I would suspect. Yes. Yes. A lot of the narrators um, are, are, you know, use those platforms. See, so they list yep. themselves there for hire than mm -hmm. to add voice talent for those different stories. But again, I would just caution it's a little more complicated than it might appear um, <laughs> to get it sure. all right. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. But if you just methodically go through it, you can actually end up with a, a, a quality product of, of your book. I think that's true. Yes. Yeah. Now, we'll just, here's a little uh, quiz here. So you've been listening to audiobooks for a long time. So do you remember what your first audiobook was that you ever listened to? I do, because it was. It was my aha moment. It might not have been my first, but it was uh, Frank Muller reading John Le Carre's Call for the Dead. Wow. It's the mystery. That's and amazing. Amazing that I would remember or. Yeah, it's like, I don't remember what my first audiobook was. I just remember, I just remember the first ones I was listening to was I had a record on a record player and my, and I play it. And then I just remember also that. I think it was Peter and the Wolf. That's what it was. Peter and the Wolf. And um, it would, it was also, I had a book that went along with it and it'd do the bling to let me know I'm supposed to turn the page and the book I'm reading. But it was, I'd listen, I'd listen to it over and over and over. I was obviously, I was um, in elementary school, I think, when I did that. But um, no, I just, it was, it was so much more fun to me listening to somebody tell me a story. That's the whole brilliance of it. Yeah. And just uh, let them take you away into the story. Yes. Now, when I go to audiophilemagazine.com and I look at, you know, it has the, the various about Audiophile Magazine. It has all the different people that work for it. And you're obviously the, the first person there. And it has your favorite audiobook is Golden Compass. That's right. So what makes it your favorite? <laughs> so uh, the Golden Compass actually was a full cast audiobook of Philip Pullman's uh, the Golden Compass is the first in a trilogy um, that he wrote about an al alternate or multiple worlds. Um, and it is it continues to be one of my favorite audiobooks. I always uh, bring it up. It's obviously there under my name. Um, and, you know, it just is a standard to me of how fabulously a production can uh, bring forth the author's intent. And actually, the wonderful part is that Philip, uh, the author, Philip Pullman, is the narrator in the story. So uh, he narrated the 
he took the narrator's role of this of the actual story and then there are i don't know how many a dozen a dozen or more actors with uh taking individual uh character roles wow so um all right so you like you're there over the whole spectrum there of uh audiobooks you just you're a connoisseur and you just really appreciate <laughs> The art form. But I also, I love the one I'm with. So, <laughs> I, you know, if you ask me, like, I'm glad what your husband will probably appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, yes. And, you know, I'm listening to, I listened uh, this week earlier to Louise Penny's uh, newest audiobook out just this week called The Madness of Crowds. And I was just totally enthralled in it. But, you know, it's ju I just listened to it. So it's right on the top of my mind. <laughs> I'm cracking with that. Like I said, I listen to audiobooks because I've got a relatively uh, busy schedule. So I'll listen to the audiobook as I'm literally as I'm exercising or going between different right. things that I'm doing. And I like to listen to the audiobooks of all my upcoming guests so I can have a little more sense of you know what to talk about and a better feel for what they write and how they write. And it just makes such a difference for me to be able to do it as an audiobook. I mean, I'll read them if I can't get it as an audiobook. And, but then I'll recommend right. they get an book done with their books. <laughs> but, uh, it's just, it makes such a big uh, help for me when I to get into the my guest's head, you know, and, and what to talk mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Great. So now Audiophile Magazine also has, you have the, um, your various awards and that you, that you issue for the audiobook. So how does that work? So we really have sort of two two or three awards. We have an earphones award, which is given fairly, uh, well, it's given sparingly, but there are more of them <laughs> um, because we're uh, publishing about 50 audiobook reviews a week. Mm -hmm. So there are 50 new books uh, being reviewed. And I would say maybe four or five of them would receive our earphones award, which designates that the reviewer and the editors uh, thinks it's an exceptional audiobook, And that would mean exceptional on an, in a, num a number of different ways of, you know, the match between the narrator and the story and the author, the, the sound quality, the presentation, a number of things, but exceptional in all regards. And I often think that it's very easy for us to recommend an earphones award title. Yeah. Well, Those are the ones it's, I can say, oh, this one was an earphones award. That's one you should pay attention to. Yeah. Over the course of our, of our producing the stories from the golden age, we had about 20 of those. So that was great. It's nice to know what that means now. Okay, good. Yeah. And so uh, we also have uh, uh, in, in December, we put out a best audiobooks of the year list. And those are chosen by the editors. It's a, it's a fairly short list because we have to bring it down to, you know, like five of the best uh, fiction audiobooks of the year or the five best mysteries. That's very hard. So sometimes we play favorites, uh, <laughs> but but we come up, we always come up with a great list. So that's our best audiobooks of the year. Um, and then we also have a Lifetime Achievement Award to narrators called our Golden Voice Award. And we give that 
just to a handful of uh, narrators each year. Um, we have about 35, I think, narrators over the whole time that we have designated as golden voice narrators. And they are always, you know, pretty much everything they do um, would be a, a wonderful listening experience. Yeah. So. I, mean, I, don't, I haven't heard every one of them, but most of them, because I've used a lot of them myself, too, with our audio productions, and they're just, they're brilliant. They're just brilliant as voice talent. So on the um, on file magazine itself, so we've talked about this briefly. You've got the monthly um, magazine, and it's both uh, digital as well as print. That's right, six times a year. Okay, yep. good. But then you've also got the e-newsletters, the weekly blogs, the social media. Anything else that you've got that uh... Uh, the podcasts? So we have the daily podcast of behind the mic with audio file. And we also have this serialized chapter a day uh, podcast um, called Audio Book Break. We also, from the, our articles section in the in the magazine and the mm -hmm. website, we often have videos with narrators, which are on our YouTube channel, our Audiophile YouTube channel. Those are fun yeah. little uh, conversations with the narrators about something they're excited about. Sure, sure. So then if a person were to, just to make sure, because I'm also want to tell people listening to this thing, if, if you enjoy audiobooks and want to know a good way to be able to find them out is to actually get the Audiophile magazine. If you subscribe to it, do you get both the digital and the print or do you have, is it two different subscriptions? You do. You do. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. So then on the digital, then you'll go straight to it, being able to listen to a bit, a bit of it as well to before right. you make your final purchase type thing. And and the website is open and everything on it is available to any any visitor. So you can listen to the search for for reviews and listen to clips. Yeah. One thing that's really cool that you do, too, which I think is over now this year, but every summer you mix new with old. The sync, the audiobook sync program is a program for teen listeners during the summer. Mm -hmm. And we have, we give away, we actually give away uh, two full audiobooks each week for 12 to 14 weeks. And they're pairs of audiobooks, um, the thematically paired. <laughs> Some, and kind of a wonderful pairing. Maybe sometimes it's an obvious pairing, but not always. But they are thematically paired. We have had great success uh, with teens for summer reading, library programs, school media programs, and the teens have really responded to the, you know, the choices of the books, and they're, you know, they're free for this win short window of time. Each week, it's a different pair. And it's, but is it at a, so the pair isn't like a classic with a new? We do, if, sometimes we do. We do okay. put a classic with a new when it works with the theme. You know, sometimes the publishers, not all publishers publish classics. Some of mm -hmm. them only publish classics. So we we make our pairs um, on, on what's available. I get it. I get it. So now then for the, again, going back to our um, aspiring writer, mm -hmm. you know, someone who's maybe it's someone who's already got some an intellectual property, stuff like that. So what advice would you give for them like we talked about different things they could do, but in terms of uh, just a real simple, like what would you recommend they do and how to go about it if they want to get an audiobook out of their book? 
Um, I think maybe a decision how to move forward. Well, I think I think looking at the self publishing platforms that we talked about is a very good way to do it. I think not all, you know, not all stories are totally perfectly suited to audiobooks. So I think maybe having a chance to talk to someone about that. I mean, I can't I can't off the top of my head say this wouldn't make a good audiobook, but sometimes stories lend themselves to perhaps different styles of audiobooks. So one story might lend itself to a uh, radio theater style presentation, whereas another one would definitely need to be be better, perhaps, if it was a single voice. So I think there are some uh, choices like that to make. Okay. So then, um, then going back to the what somebody should actually do then to get themselves published, so it seemed like they would have to also just listen to audiobooks to get a feel for yeah. what do you like, you know? Right. I think that's a very good uh, bit of advice, John, because if you're going to take your story and make it into an audiobook, you probably should have some idea of the range of possibilities. And the only way to do that is to listen to lots of different audiobooks of different styles. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if you're uh, you might want to listen within this, the genre of whatever's being written. So if you're, you know, writing in the sci-fi genre, you might want to listen to different things. I mean, there are some spectacular uh, radio dramas and um, very highly produced uh, programs like um, Neil Gaiman's The Sandman, mm -hmm. which was out and the new one is about to come out. Um, you know, those are take an extraordinary amount of production, but there are some equally you know, affecting and and dynamic single voice per performances is some of the podium publishing titles, including um, Andy Weir's uh, new title, Project Hail Mary, which is a single voice, uh, great single voice performance by Ray Porter. So they're very, you know, there's lots of different choices in types of production and listening to lots of audiobooks, you're going to find ones that appeal to you. And I think as a writer, they would, you could see your story produced like that. So that would be good to know. Absolutely. Okay. That's great. Now, one last thing too, on, um, because you you have reviewed so many of the audiobooks that I've published, so I got to get something here so I can. It might count as itself patting myself on the back, but uh, I'm I'm very proud of what we've uh, produced and had some amazing reviews from Audiophile Magazine. Anything that stands out for you? Because you've done various articles, also, and you've had the interviews with Jim Meskimen, and um, we did our Battlefield Earth book, which won the that won an Audi as well as the uh, Earphone Award. And we've had several other ones, but anything in particular that stands out for you, you know, may realize this, you may or may not have an answer to this, in which case. Um... Well, I think I think one of the things that I've loved um, doing is some of the um, in the studio uh, articles about mm -hmm. how uh, the the audiobooks have been produced and the amount of care and uh, thought and creativity that's gone into, you know, not just casting, uh, but all the sound effects, uh, the mixing of it, and that dynamism of having the uh, actors in the same room. 
Right. And that's that's those are quite fun. We've done a couple of those in the studio uh, in interviews. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's been great talking to you again here. And um, just so everybody knows one more time. So if they want to be able to get a subscription to Audiophile or just to check out reviews, where would they go? To audiophilemagazine.com. Okay, good. And then the now your magazine is available in, is it? Work and they actually get the print copy if they just want to go to uh, some outlet. Mm, nope, you've got to get it from us <laughs> okay, <good. All> right. <laughs> for print. So, um, uh, and the digital copy is available also from our website, so you can check it out. Um, and then, of course, there are our podcasts, uh, the Behind the Mic with Audiophile Magazine and Audiobook Break. That's great. Well, again, thank you very much. And it's been uh, I think it's really important that the aspiring writer or the writer that's been published um, has more understanding of what this industry is and how they could take advantage of it to be able to, um, if nothing else, to further monetize their intellectual property. But it's also it's a great way that people are enjoying a book that they wouldn't otherwise read, but if they can listen to it. Um, they'll be able to enjoy your book that, you know, is uh, a great way to be able to uh, to read. Right. And to broaden the audience for all of those uh, those writers, I think that's a big piece of it is, uh, you know, a lot of people who are avid readers uh, consume with their what they have. Uh, they play into their ears in audiobooks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, thank you. Thanks, John. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We have also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network, where you can find these podcasts as well by just typing in Writers of the Future. Again, I highly recommend you read the Writers of the Future series. These are, after all, who our judges have selected as the best of the best new writers and artists. They can be found at writersofthefuture.com, at Amazon, or wherever you get your books. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elwin Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Robin. Thank you, John.